So, hello everyone to uh, our first of uh, CSF Scent recording of the uh, fall 2022 semester. Um, so, my name is Ben and I am a leader here at Scent. Uh, basically, we are a group within um, CSF where we try to have discussions with people who live, work, and breathe on IUPUI campus, go to school, and we uh, talk about what evangelism looks like in a specific context. Um, we've had videos for the past couple of years. You can go back and look. We also, Josh, whom will be introduced in a moment, and I made a nice uh, brief overview of Scent uh, with a bit more of the history and um, motivation, which you guys can check out um, at the same place you'll be seeing this podcast. So. Today, super excited to have um, Bob and Andrew with us from uh, Ratio Christi, which is an apologetics group. And if that big word scares you, I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to them to kind of explain exactly what they do here on IEPUI campus. Okay, well, thank you, Ben, and uh, thanks for having us here again. It's great to be uh, with you, and we always enjoy these opportunities. Uh, Ratio Christi means reason of Christ, and uh, so what we do uh, at IUPUI is uh, we're a student organization and we like to wrestle with uh, the reasons uh, for Christ. Why uh, do we believe in Christianity? Why do we believe there's the God? Why do we think the Bible's reliable? Those kinds of questions. So um, we just have uh, interesting discussions and, and teachings trying to equip Christians and also trying to answer the questions of those who are seeking and, and uh and even maybe doubting. So that's a little bit about what we do. And we also want to minister to other uh, groups on campus uh, like CSF. So that's part of our mission is, is to help uh, other ministries uh, by bringing them what we, what we can offer, which is apologetics, giving a defense and then uh, evangelism. Yeah, what he said, I'm, I'm Bob Schultz and uh, I'm the, one of the, uh, uh, campus directors. There's three of us last I checked, and um, we've been. How long has Rochester Christie been at IUPUI? Like five years? Since 2015. Okay, wow. So, yeah, well, seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been with them um, with it for like three years, four years, three years. And yeah, we do, um, you know, apologetics, defending the faith, uh, trying to defend. And give a reason for the hope that's within us, um, and you know, getting to that hope, which is Christ, the gospel. Um, you know, why is that? Why is that so important to us? And there are a myriad of reasons and a myriad of ways to come at it, and that's what we get to do. Perfect. Um, so I'll let Josh introduce himself for a moment so he doesn't just, you know, pop into the middle of the discussion. So. Um, as Ben said, uh, my name's Josh. I'm a co-leader with Ben uh, with the CSF uh, Scent Podcast and heavily involved in CSF with a couple other uh, ministry opportunities. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about myself. So, and I'm a senior. Um, so on the final stretch at IUPUI, um, but yeah, that's a little bit about myself and I'll turn it over to Ben, get this thing rolling. Perfect. So as I said, uh, Josh will take over in a little bit. So the structure of the discussion will be first, we'll talk about what evangelism is, why we do it, 
um, and kind of some of the complexities that come with evangelizing, particularly in a uh, like secular university setting. Um, and then I will turn it over to Josh, who will talk about or ask questions about the um, more apologetics and, and questions of theology that either we've had or we've many students have asked um, or questions that have been submitted. Um, so first, let's talk about evangelism in general. So could you guys just very broadly or as specific as you'd like, what is evangelism? Go ahead, Bob. All right. Um, I'd say evangelism is the, um, you know, the root, the root of that word is evangel, the gospel. And um, like evangelism is pretty much the communication and propagation of that um, in a very intentional way. Um, as you know, and so, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to yeah. complicate it too much, but at the, at the core, I think that's what it comes down to is whatever way we do it, that we are trying to share the message of God's redemption, you know, of ourselves in the world. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I would say too. It's uh, it's sharing the gospel specifically, uh, which is the death, deity, and resurrection of Jesus, and that by trusting in Him, uh, we can cross from death to life eternal by trusting in His righteousness uh, rather than our own. And uh, you could you could say uh, more broadly, if you wanted a little bit broader a version of evangelism, that it's it's uh, intentionally. Uh, trying to move someone toward Christ uh, every day and every way that you can trying to move somebody toward Christ, I suppose as well. But uh, yeah, that's the gist of it. So a lot of speaking truth in there, like the uh, sharing about Christ, you know, that we, we, we take that as the unitary way to get to uh, reach salvation and, and able to live in what we would consider the, the perfect union with God. Um, a lot of people don't believe that, um, either complete rejection of religion or the thousands of other religions that exist, um, and variations within even Christianity, um, especially in modern America, where we see a lot of, uh, a lot of bleed in from, from secular humanism or other, um, more accepting quote unquote, accepting, uh, ideologies. So that being the case. How can we hold to these firm truths that we claim and yet still not be seen as hateful or labeled as hateful, either in a intentional way to shut us down or in just genuinely people being hurt by being told truth, however you want to define that. I think you'd first, first off, just that might have to accept the fact that you are going to get labeled. Um, you're not going to avoid that. You know, the apostles didn't avo didn't avoid it. The, Jesus didn't avoid it. You know, go all the way through the Bible, the Old Testament. The prophets were really kicked around for it. Um, so, uh, the good news and bad news is it comes with the territory. And when you speak truth, most people don't like it. 
and I think you just got to get used to that fact. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right, Bob. I mean, we can't really control how we're going to be labeled, um, but we can we can present the truth in a biblical way, right? Which is with gentleness and respect. Uh, that's that's what we're called to do. So, um, there, I think one of the things as Christians we need to realize is that uh, uh, both sides, as it were, are taking a truth position, right? Um, the, the the more tolerant side. Is, is are they making truth claims uh, just as we are? Uh, the question is who's got it right. Um, but it, if you've got a position, then you're taking the truth claim and truth side. So it's it's not wrong to say uh, you know our view is true uh, if we can back it up. Um, and they're doing the same thing. They're they're claiming their version is true. So I think that's one thing that we need to recognize. Um, and. I guess the other thing I'd throw out is that there are tactics we can use in the dialogue. So it's very important that the way in which we dialogue uh, is uh, almost as important as what we say, right? That's why uh, Peter adds that uh, in the great apologetic verse, 1 Peter 3.15, that we always need to be ready to give a defense, but we have to do it with gentleness and respect. And so um, we have tactics that we uh, encourage students to use on campus. In fact, Here's a, a booklet we have. Uh, you can get this on our website at rashiochristi.org. Uh, this one happens to be called Heart of Spiritual Dialogue, but we've got uh, numerous booklets that have apologetic information uh, in them. But this one in particular uh, is less about what's the evidence and more about how do we present it in a way that's uh, hopefully going to reach rather than repel. So there are different tactics in there that I would encourage you to avail yourself to. Like uh, we need to be uh, better listeners. Um, we tend to either be uh, like bulls. We just want to, in a china shop, right? We just, uh, we want to, we've got the truth. It's our job to share the truth and we're going to level people with the truth. Uh, but uh, that doesn't come across very loving to those uh, recipients a lot of times. And so are we good listeners? Are we really hearing people? Are we really engaging in a dialogue? And, and so uh, for some of us, that, that's a bit of a challenge, and we need to think that through. And uh, and for others, we're not like bulls. We're more like butterflies. We're just silent. <laughs> uh, we, we love people, but we don't like to talk about the spiritual issues. We don't like to go in those those uh, touchy waters. It's, it's, it's uh, nerve-wracking for us. So uh, how do you do that? Well, uh, the book helps give you tactics how to do it. And one of the greatest ways to do it is by asking questions, asking the right kinds of questions. Um, because uh, questions don't come across as offensive typically. Uh, you're just asking, right? You're not accusing. And so if you can learn the art of asking good questions, um, you can engage with people who disagree with you and uh, it can still be fun. It can still be interesting. You're showing that person you love them, you care about them, you wanna learn about what they believe. And um, at the same time, you can make pretty sticky, difficult, truth claims, um, right? Like uh, Jesus is the only way, right? So you can say to somebody, Jesus is the only way. And that may come across pretty harsh to them, but you can also put it in a question form. You can say, why do you think Jesus claimed to be the only way? That's not, that's softer, you know, but you're still making the same claim. And now the person can't just blow you off uh, so easily because you're asking for a response. So they've got to wrestle with it uh, and, and think it through. 
So questions have a lot of advantages like that. And so those are some of the tactics that we, we encourage people to employ. And sometimes you have to be, be careful um, not to let what they're talking about become a distraction. Uh, I think that is, you know, when you get to a lot of the, the issues that people get, get all up, been out of shape about, you know, LGBTQ or, um, you know, social justice stuff. I, you know, I, I think a lot of times those become distractions to us um, because they're, they are worth dealing with, but not always in every con context. So in a, an evangelistic or witnessing context, I have to decide how much and am I going to actually engage with that? Um, not saying don't engage it, but how am I going to engage it? Um, and how can I maybe use it as a way to um, point back to, to Jesus. Um, and uh, actually that booklet uh, that, that Andy wrote, he didn't say that, uh, does a great job of uh, talking about affirming, uh, fi finding something within the, uh, your opponent, your, your, who are you talking to, uh, you know, what, what's, what is is good about it um and it, almost i think almost always if not always there is something even if it's down deep because what are they seeking they're seeking almost always some form of reconciliation or redemption uh there are redemptive themes going on there's the image of god seeking restoration now it might be completely off base, you know, it might be downright evil, but at the core, it's actually trying to seek something that's fundamentally good. So that takes some practice and some, some, some thought, but I, you know, in as much as you can do that, I mean, actually I go, you know, I was, as I was looking at the questions earlier, I kept coming back to John four and the, the woman at the well, um, you know, spend some time with your questions and then reading that, and you'll see a lot of help. You'll see where um, the woman at the well kind of gets called out, not in a mean way, about her lifestyle. Um, and she goes to a social issue of, you know, the Samaritans versus the, uh, the Jews and how you worship. And Jesus says, yeah, that's an important issue, but it's not the most important. Uh, he brings it back around to what matters. Um, so yeah, I, I think, but I do think the danger is that uh, we can be distracted by it. Um, otherwise, we do it in love and treat them, treat people the way we want to be treated, and let the chips fall where they may. There's a lot of ways to build bridges uh, with people, um, and uh, and that's a, that's a key. We we don't just want to look for battlegrounds uh, with people, although we do want to keep our eyes out for what are the areas that we need to uh, to talk about with people that uh, is guiding them down the wrong path. So we do we do need to go there, uh, but we also want to build uh, connections. And so I appreciate what Bob was saying about affirming uh, someone. That that makes a huge difference. 
Uh, if you're in a conversation with somebody and they, they affirm you somehow, uh, and it can be, as he said, with the position they're taking, but there are other ways to affirm as well. You don't have to necessarily agree with what they're saying, uh, but you can affirm them as a person. You know, hey, you're a nice person. Uh, I really enjoy talking to you. Thanks for being so kind with me on this issue. You know, that, that kind of thing. Or you can affirm their passion behind the issue. I remember talking to a universalist and, uh, you know, he, he really wanted everybody to be saved. And I, I thought, so do I, you know, <laughs> I, I do too. I, I think that'd be fantastic. I just don't think it's correct, but I, I could, I could at least say to him, you know, I really appreciate the zeal you have because that tells me you really love people. And so do I. Um, and then you can steer it into, but we want to be sure that we're putting our zeal in alignment with knowledge and truth, right? And, and what what uh, actually follows uh, from what scripture says or from people wanting to reject God and still be saved and that sort of thing. So yeah. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of ways to build bridges with people by affirming. And it should be genuine. Hopefully that goes without saying, you know, don't, don't get too slick, you know, be, you know, be genuine. So that's enough to get you started, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. I am um, going back a little bit to what Bob was talking about with, um, you know, getting distracted, um, how Jesus kind of reformed the conversation in the context of something a lot more spiritually investive, as opposed to some of the more surface level history context. Um, that the woman was was trying to to pin it on, so people do that all the time. Um, they find a pillar. I I mean, speaking particularly of Christianity, people do it everywhere. But in Christianity, people find a pillar. I hate that Christians, or I've seen Christians, or I even as far as my interpretation, poor as it is of Christians, I hate X. Therefore, Christianity must be wrong. Um, and so what are some of those either good, valid arguments that people have or some of those weird things that people use as excuses um, to not have to think too deeply? What are some of those things that you've seen come up, especially amongst college students? I, 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 can, I can jump in to, to get us started at least in terms of kind of common objections. Um, Certainly the hypocrisy thing you, you mentioned is, is, is big. I, I think the biggest thing that I come across is, is relativism. Um, it's, it's, it's the idea that I don't have to worry about Christianity, right? Because that's just not my truth. Um, that's not where I find uh, whatever it is I'm trying to find in life. So I don't need to deal with it. Um, you know, I was on the Purdue's campus a, a, about a week or two ago, and uh, we talked to 12 students that day, uh, and every one of them was a relativist without question. And even when you pin them down and say, yeah, but aren't there some things that are absolute? Uh, they still, <laughs> they'll acknowledge it and then and then say, but I'm still a relativist, <laughs> you know? So um, that that that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges we have to overcome um, is, is relativism is just everywhere. 
Would you mind defining relativism a bit more concretely, maybe giving some examples and what we can, like if we're having a conversation with someone, what would be those, this person believes in what this, this relativism concept? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there, there are a couple ways to look at it. One is relativism in terms of truth. So there is no absolute truth, right? Uh, you've got your truth, I've got my truth kind of thing. And when you push people in that direction, most of them are willing to acknowledge that, well, okay, maybe there is absolute in, in the sense that if I drink the rat poison, yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably absolutely going to be in trouble, you know, uh, it's either absolutely going to kill me or it absolutely isn't, that, that sort of thing. But when you start to get into areas of religion and morality and, you know, ethics, that kind of thing, uh, people get very, very uh, uncomfortable with absolute. And, and so you'll start to hear things like, you know, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as uh, you're not hurting anybody. Um, or uh, who am I to say, I had a student say this to me uh, just a couple of days ago, who am I to say that um, my view is wrong or my view is right and another person's is wrong? Rather. Who am I to do that? Uh, or I don't, I don't want somebody else telling me my view is incorrect. So... Why do I think I get the right to do that? Um, that seems to be very, those kinds of things are very common. Um, or everybody has their own upbringing with, with religion. So you know, they, we've all got our own way. Of course, they just told you that your view is incorrect. <laughs> well, that's, that's precisely right. Uh, that's exactly part of the problem, right? Uh, who am I to say that somebody else is wrong? Well, you're telling everybody that says that somebody else is wrong that they're wrong. So you're doing yeah. the very thing that we're not supposed to be able to do. Yeah, so it, it is self-defeating and, and uh, logically problematic. Kind of ironic, um, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, and I have, you know, I, I'm a Muslim and myself, you know, we can at least agree on the fact that we disagree. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's honest and we can be friends because we both think the other one's going to hell. <laughs> Uh, or whatever, uh, and that's much easier, you know, and it's more sensible, I think. I mean, it it, it just has to be that uh, you know not everybody's got it right. I mean, if we if, if we have contradictory views, mm -hmm. we can't all be right. That's just logic one hundred and one. Uh, but uh, you know, J.P. Moreland in his book uh, "Love God with All Your Mind" he talks about what he calls plausibility structure in a culture. And what he basically means by that is that, you know, culture or society can get to a point where they see a particular issue in such a way that the opposing view isn't even plausible. Uh, and I think that we are dangerously close to that, if not there, uh, in, in our culture when it comes to uh, relativism. Uh, that... It, that uh, Students are absolutely inundated everywhere. TV, social media, lyrics they listen to everywhere with the idea of relativism in some form or another. They don't always use that word, but they're using that ideology such that, that to, to think that we're otherwise uh, or would want to be otherwise is, is almost unthinkable. It's almost not even plausible anymore because we're just drilled into this idea that uh, uh, you know, we have to be tolerant. And everybody else, everybody's got it right, and we don't. We can only see our our little view, and and that doesn't mean it's really absolutely true. And uh, so, 
even when I, you know, I was talking to a student just the other day and, and we were talking about this and he said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a relativist, a moral relativist. And, and so we said, but uh, it, do you think that it's wrong to rate people for fun? And he said, well, yeah, that, that, would, that would be wrong. Would, would that be absolutely wrong? Yes, that would, that would be absolutely wrong. Okay, so you do believe in some moral absolutes. Well, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't say I'm a moral absolutist. Well, you kind of just did, <laughs> you know, actually you just did. Uh, no, 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 I, I just, that's just my view. Uh, so even when you point out to them and show them that they uh, really do believe in moral absolutes, taking that label just seems wrong. They've been taught it's wrong. So I think we got a lot of work for, for uh, you know, cut out, but mm -hmm. that just shows more than ever that, that you know, Christians do need to stand up for this and, and share it with other people. Mm -hmm. We're going to turn the culture around. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, that's very prevalent. And I, I think partly because, you know, there's, there's so much, information overload and so many things coming at you it's just easier um and uh and and, and it feels relevant um and I, and I think that's that's the big thing we run into is is this thing we believe relevant um and not always on the surface does it come across that way um is it reasonable? Um, oh, what's comfortable is what's reasonable anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I, what I want for myself is what's reasonable. Uh, you know, my, my personal autonomy um, and its defense is what's reasonable. Um, so, so you run into a lot of uh, unexamined belief systems that uh, are, are probably as much about convenience as conviction, uh, probably more about convenience and conviction. One of the things I think can be helpful is to use illustrations too, to try to uh, shake people out of the, of the mindset. So, you know, I had a, a Christian student actually who was telling me that he didn't have the right to tell other people um, you know, what, what they saw as true was, was wrong, right? He, he had his view of the way the world was and other people have their view and, and he doesn't have the right to go and, and tell them otherwise. Um, so I, I said, well, let me tell you a story. I, my aunt and uncle used to sail um, out on the ocean. They had a sailboat. And so they went out one day on the ocean and, and uh, my aunts said, you know, it's water looks beautiful it's calm it's a bright sunny day it's warm i'm gonna go for a swim uh and she got ready to dive in the ocean and i mean just as she was getting ready to launch my uncle yells shark don't go in and uh, moments later this giant shark swims right out from under the boat right where she was gonna dive well, her view of reality was that this, this is just a nice inviting ocean, it was gonna be a pleasant swim and nothing to worry about, it was gonna be relaxing. And my uncle's view of, of reality was uh, there could be some danger 
going down that path. Uh, if you dive into those waters, it could be trouble. Uh, who is he to, have, to tell her her view was wrong? Uh, well, actually, he had a duty, right, <laughs> to yeah. do it. So uh, sometimes if you can if you can paint illustrations like that for people to help them see, yeah, actually, you know, if somebody's heading down the wrong path, uh -huh. um, if they're in error, it's okay to correct them, and, and we need to be open uh -huh. to being corrected. And 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 so I'm trying to work on that kind of thing. And your uncle had a different viewpoint, yeah. literally. You know, um, and so it's it's good to hear different viewpoints yeah. because potentially they can lead to greater truth, um, you know, and you know, greater flourishing as a person um, and keeps you from being shark bait. Uh, <laughs> this is my aunt chum, but... <laughs> uh, but it, it's you gotta acknowledge you know it, it's hard to want to do that you know it's much i, I think what it seems like most people are want to just do everything they can to block these questions out find reasons to avoid them uh, which is understandable you know because they require a lot of you if you're going to take them seriously that's that's a great point, but but I I, I want to stress that the 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 effort is worth it. If, if you're feeling a little uh, bored in your spiritual walk, <laughs> if things are a little stagnant for you, uh, just try evangelism, uh, and and watch the Holy Spirit light you on fire as you start engaging with people. Uh, yeah, it's it's work, but uh, you're never going to be the same uh, because. Uh, the spirit working in you when you are uh, sharing and, and being faithful is uh, phenomenal. And so I, I encourage you, yes, it's work, but, but uh, d dive in, not, not to the shark infested waters, but <laughs> into, the into the spiritual waters. <laughs> Good save. Thanks. Awesome. So with that, We'll kind of wrap up the whole um, discussion of what evangelism is, how we do it practically. So thank you guys so much for your thoughts on that. And now we will turn it over to Josh for the more uh, more apologetics and, and theological questions that, as I said uh, in the intro, we either have or we've heard or you guys have submitted. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, thanks, Bob and uh, Andy for all that. Um, so I guess on the back half of evangelism, why, uh, personally, I have a great passion for apologetics. Um, a lot of people don't exactly know what apologetics is. Uh, so if you guys wouldn't mind explaining what apologetics is and how, how do we use that as Christians in the evangelism world? Um, and how do we use that to, um, tackle these tough, complex, um, theological uh, questions that we have. Uh, okay, uh, well, what apologetics is, is, uh, is just giving a reason to defense. That's what the Greek word apologia means. So it doesn't have anything to do with saying we're sorry. Uh, it, it has to do with giving a reason defense for the hope we have. And as I mentioned earlier on, uh, it's a command. Uh, that First uh, Peter three fifteen uh, 
uses that very word to to be ready to give an apologia and a, and a defense for what we what we believe and um, in terms of how you do it uh, in evangelism I, I'm not sure how you do evangelism without it anymore <laughs> these days mm -hmm. I, and, and in fact in all days really but uh, but especially now uh, in our culture because there's a, a great deal of pushback uh, Christianity is under attack and uh, there are all kinds of ideologies against it so uh, if you're talking to people about Christ on any kind of regular basis, you're going to get challenges, you're going to get questions, and that's just great. That's great because we have answers, and uh, and it helps you grow in your own faith as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Apologetics is, is helpful for the person to whom you're speaking, but it's also helpful for you because there's going to come a time in your life, if it hasn't come yet, uh, in which you're gonna you're gonna pause and say, "Wait a minute, God, <laughs> what is going on here?" Mm -hmm. uh, and apologetics helps shore your faith because when you hit times of suffering, when you hit times of pain, uh, being able to have that uh, foundation of, "But this is true, and I have good reason to believe it's true, even though I don't understand why God's allowing X, Y, or Z, or whatever else is happening." So apologetics has value for evangelism, it also has value um, for your own discipleship. Um, so that, that gets us started anyway. I don't know, Bob, you want to tack on anything there? Well, I, I you know, totally on board with you there. Something else I think it, it does um, is it, it's sort of a way to love well. Um, you know, if you're, if you're talking to someone, um, anymore especially, in always, but I think it's more obvious now, you are engaging different worldviews. Um, and if I'm going to engage someone with a different worldview, it is an act of, of love of them if I can understand as much as possible where they're coming from, so that I represent them well, so that I, I can respect them well, um, so I don't misrepresent them. Um, and, and that's a lot, I, I think it's a lot better than just saying, you know, blah, 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 here's the gospel, you know, without any background, without any kind of, I mean, these are kind of extremes, but, um, you know, culture, you know, just, hey, here's somebody, I'm going to tell you the gospel. I don't know anything about you. I don't care anything about you. Um, here's how Jesus loves you, um, even if I don't really very well. Uh, I know, I'm, you know. You can't understand everything about every mm -hmm. little thing, but you know the tactics stuff. Um, you learn how to ask the right questions. You learn how to find the right answers. You build that relationship. Um, so, you know, frankly, for me, both evangelism and apologetics, it's not a one-time deal, and I prefer it not to be. It's like, and I and I'm not the kind of guy who has the answer at the top of their head. I'm not like Andy. Uh, <laughs> i'm like uh duh, i think i knew that once upon a time um but it's great because like i'm gonna look into that for you i think it's the right question um and i think i have an idea of what it means but i'd rather just double check uh let me do that and can we get back together mm -hmm. you know and and that that to me is a lot of what apologetics does so i i think a lot of times we think of apologetics as content <laughs> you know a bunch mm -hmm. of information about you know about god and jesus and defending our faith i 
I tend to think apologetics may be more about what we do, what we do with that. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it is about the content because anybody can Google the content who wants to, uh, but relating the content um, is, is what's desperately needed. Packaging it in a way that it can be um, appreciated and apprehended. Uh, and that, that's, that's more work. And then in the midst of that, the gospel is, you know, comes through. Um, if they reject it, they're rejecting it for the right reasons. <laughs> uh, if, uh, and obviously they believe, they're believing for better reasons than just, you know, some emotional gush. But they can see there's, there's more to it than that. That's, that's good. One of the things that occurred to me as I was listening to you, Bob, is uh, how apologetics frees us to walk with a person through their spiritual journey, through their spiritual walk, where they are. Mm -hmm. Because as you, as you begin to engage in apologetics, what you realize is, oh, there's really good answers for our faith. Um, our faith. Uh, makes a lot of sense. In fact, uh, makes more sense than other worldviews. Um, so that frees you to then be okay with not knowing all the answers or having somebody hit you with a question. And, and it's okay because you can have confidence that there have been brilliant minds studying this stuff for 2,000 years, and there's probably a good answer out there, and you can find it. Um, and and so you you can be genuine with somebody and just walk through their spiritual journey with them. And that's that's really what evangelism and apologetics is, yeah. is trying to do. And people want to do that because I mean we have people now who have been walking with us for a long time yeah. and are deeply part of what we do who aren't believers yet. Mm -hmm. You know, and we know them on the academic and mental level, but we know them on we know what's going on in their lives. We know. The questions behind the questions, the emotions behind the questions, the fears, the, the histories, um, because they've let us in. And I'll tell you, that's a privilege. Yeah, I'll say um, with apologetics, uh, like I said, I have a great uh, passion for it. And like you said, Andy, uh, personally, it just helped me grow in my faith. Um, and through that, uh, with apologetics, I've learned just to just to be a good listener and um, just taking the information that they're giving me and how to uh, share the gospel message and um, just be a good witness to them. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you guys defining that for Andy. I know you mentioned uh, I couldn't tell you how many times that I've been told, why are you studying to apologize? Like, why, why is that a thing? <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah. yeah, thank you for defining that for some people. Um, so I guess with that, let's, let's jump into a tough, uh, theological question. I think that gets asked a lot. Um, so how do we know the Bible is, uh, the word of God? How do we, how do we not know that it was just, uh, some made up stories over time, um, to impose some good morals on, uh, people, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, wants to go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'll 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 get it get it primed. Uh, uh, kind of answer the the question of why isn't it just 
a bunch of stories made up for good morals or whatever. Um, I, I think that's problematic for a few reasons. One, if it's about morals, it doesn't do a very good job because it's not really a book about morals. It's got morals in it, uh, but it mostly shows that those rules don't work very well. Um, and that you're probably gonna fail at them more often than not. Um, and so if, if that's, if it's a book of morality, it's, it's lousy, you know, in, in as far as application, uh, because what, what's it doing? It's, it's more like pointing out, it's like, there is a God, he has a standard and you keep screwing it up and he keeps pursuing you in spite of it. I don't know how you apply that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do, do better, uh, you know, it, yeah. Uh, I can pull out a verse here and verse there, but uh, frankly, I may as well go read the Code of Hammurabi or something. It's you know, <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, and it's shorter. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, the, the Bible is set in a, in history, um, and certainly, you know, in in that time you didn't have too much that was set in history that wasn't meant to be taken as historical. You know, if names and places are being, you know, real names and real places um, are being talked about, that's not just by accident. That's, you're being told that because that's how it was. Yeah. Not because it's once upon a time, here's some real people. Uh, you really didn't have that sort of literature in the, uh, you know, too much in the, um, in the Hebrew world. And when you did, it was very obvious um, that, that it was the case and not a secret. Um, with what we consider to be scripture, it just says what it, what it thinks it is. Um, as to why that's the word of God, that's a much larger question, but uh, and I'll leave that one up to, to Andy. <laughs> uh, I like to use the acronym MAP when I have to remember how to defend the idea that the Bible is the word of God. So the M stands for manuscript evidence. We've got tremendous manuscript evidence. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, manuscript, New Testament and Old T uh, Testament manuscripts. Uh, copied down through the centuries. Uh, so the manuscript evidence is far better than any other ancient book that we have. Um, it's not even close, in fact. And so in terms of can I trust that the Bible I have today is an accurate representation uh, of the originals? Yes, I think we've got good manuscript evidence to support that. So we can trust the, the book today. Uh, but does that make it the word of God? Well, no, not on its own. But uh, the other, the other element which Bob uh, mentioned is the historical aspect. And I think the A speaks to that. Archaeology is the A in, in maps. So uh, the archaeological record uh, is uh, really strong in, in favor of the Bible. In fact, uh, the last count I heard, there were over 40,000 archaeological finds that confirm the Bible. 
and uh, none that conclusively controvert it. That's a pretty good record, 40,000 and 0. Uh, I mean, that's better than the 76 Hoosiers. That's really, really strong. Uh, it's, time to, <laughs> it's time to get serious about the Bible when you're 40,000 and 0. And, and we're talking about uh, all kinds of archaeological discoveries. Um, just to give you one example, so Luke uh, is extremely uh, acknowledged by liberal and conservative scholars to be uh, very uh, reliable and accurate in terms of his uh, record. Um, one scholar noted that Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, and uh, nine islands without an error. Uh, he names, just in the first three chapters of his gospel, he names 12 leaders who've been historically verified. Now, you start to hear that and you think, all right, what is this telling me about this guy? What does this tell me about this author? Seems to me like he's really concerned about accuracy. He's really concerned about detail. I mean, think about 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands without an error. He can't just Google that stuff, right, back then. What it tells me is he's there, he's on the scene, or he's talking to people who are there. He's got, he's got very good evidence. Uh, we've got stuff from, from John. Uh, now, John's very interesting, his gospel, because he was allegedly... You know, critics don't like John very much because John's really big on the deity of Jesus. So critics want to push that as far away as they can. But what archaeology is showing is that John is, is uh, someone who knew what Jerusalem was like before it was destroyed in AD 70. Knew what the temple was like because the description that's in John match what the archaeological record is now uncovering. So if John were written way after the fact uh, or by someone who lived way after the fact, uh, he wouldn't have been able to describe the, some of these details that we find in his gospel. So the, uh, the author of John, here's a radical suggestion, may, was John. <laughs> you know, somebody who was actually there during the eyewitness period, saw it and could describe it. Um, so archaeology does a lot of that kind of thing. And then the last, uh, the last thing is the, the P in, ma in MAP stands for prophecy. Uh, of course, we've got uh, numerous uh, prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus that are fulfilled in the New Testament, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, on and on and on. And so I, I would encourage you, if you've not studied uh, the fulfilled prophecies uh, of Jesus, to do that, because uh, I think that the, I think the reasonable conclusion of that is there's a divine mind behind this. There are predictions that are specific that are made that couldn't have just been uh, guesswork. And, and we know we're written before Jesus uh, because we have uh, manuscripts of the Old Testament, like from the Dead Sea Scrolls, right, that were written before the time of Jesus. So it wasn't something Christians came along and tampered with later. So uh, that's uh, the map is, is a good acronym for you to, to remember. Mm. You have to give it the yeah, best. I like that. Yeah, I'll... Uh... I'll have to start using that acronym now. Um, okay, <laughs> I like that. I wish I knew um, that months ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess with that, so now that we know the Bible um, and it's accurate, uh, so I guess within the church setting, uh, so you have different Christians with different views or um, interpretations, such as young earth versus old earth, uh, Catholic versus Protestant. Um, so how would you guys suggest as Christians, how we 
deal with disagreements on what I would consider non-salvation uh, matters in the context of evangelism. Whichever one wants to tackle that question. In the context of evangelism, could you unpack that a little bit more? What yeah, so um, I guess <clears throat> while evangelizing, um, if you have fellow Christians, uh, so we have Christians that believe in young earth and Christians that believe in old earth, Catholic, Protestant. Um, so in terms of evangelizing, how do you, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. So how do you handle that disagreement with a fellow Christian? And then in terms of evangelizing, um, if they were to reverse that on to you, like, oh, oh uh, creation was how do you how do you deal with that um i i, I did that clarify the question yeah i think or, so uh, or i think i think so okay. um so I, I have a couple general rules of thumb that uh that i try to use um first off is you know is is the is the gospel you know our are, are we talking about a genuine gospel here? Mm -hmm. If we got that down, um, the other stuff is interesting, important, but in the context of evangelism, not necessarily the most important. Mm -hmm. um, with other Christians, I would probably, well, what I do because I'm into church history is <laughs> you know, I, I look you know, what have we been doing? What has stood the test of time? And uh, what have Christians agreed on? And yeah, I think that for me, I look at the, the creeds, the Apostles' mm -hmm. Creed, the Nicene Creed, Chalcedon, Athanasian. Um, the, the, these, these summarize the core of of, of Christian belief, not in detail necessarily, but I'm not afraid to say that if you deny any of those things explicitly, you may not be a Christian. But if you affirm them, you might be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, it doesn't get yeah. it. Uh, but if, all right, you got the deity of Christ right, you got the Trinity right, you got other stuff right, you might be a brother. Um, and these seem to be the things that are important, that that we have deemed to be important. Um, and that doesn't make questions of creationism unimportant. Doesn't make you know anything else unimportant. But it, it's I hope hopefully it sets it in its right place. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, now you'll have some people and you'll have some Christians who have to get out a soapbox about their, their issue and they drive that. And it's, it's frustrating. You know, it's like, especially in evangelism. Because um, even if I agree with them, and often I do, it may not be, it, it, it may not be helpful. Um, and I'm not sure there's a good answer for that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's going to be things people who 
you know, people, places, and things that disrupt, you know. And frankly, I think Christians are amongst the most disruptive <laughs> when mm -hmm. it comes to spreading the gospel. Um, I mean, ideally, you can kind of set the uh, set the tone, set the parameters ahead of time, you know, so you kind of know who's getting into this with you. Um, mm -hmm. But this this comes down to learning interpersonal communication more than it is about understanding the doctrine it's like let's try to keep focused on on this we can talk about these other things but not here not now and i don't know if there's any one way to do that without being a jerk um, <laughs> uh, that's usually what i do i just i just decided yeah. to be a jerk um and it usually it, it solves all kinds of problems it uses up my calendar um <laughs> uh, but no, it, I mean, really, it's you just have to navigate it, you know, because you're dealing with various levels of maturity. And this is how people grow as much as anything. And ultimately, it's not, if you handle it right, I, I think it can actually be a benefit even in the evangelistic, in, say, an evangelistic encounter, um, how I handle that other person, you know. Do I am, I, am I treating them kindly? And am I trying to, you know, appreciate and concentrate on what the challenges I'm being offered by an unbeliever? Um, so, yeah, I don't think, I don't have a good answer, but I, I think it's a lot about just being patient and trying to communicate well. Um, yeah and trusting that the spirit is in charge anyway yeah so yeah but hopefully andy has something better i thought that there's a lot of good stuff in there bob i i, I would only tack on uh, i guess in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty in all things charity the difficulty with that, that I can... is yes it, and and that that's one of those questions you know what comes down to what what's essential you know i think that's where the rub is uh question i used to ask it's like why why do i say one part of the bible is more important than another part that seems a little arbitrary and you know who am i to say that you know <laughs> um and, and you know honestly ultimately i had to kind of just look to what you know what have we done for the past two thousand years and what has what has stuck what does the spirit seem to use um and one thing i did notice he uses he uses people who disagree with me um and i can't stand that I, I, i'm better with it now but it used to be a real frustrating thing it's like hey they're they're not right because they don't agree with me on this issue this tiny issue you know and yet or maybe it's not a tiny issue uh, but God seems to want to use them anyway. What's up with that? It is good. It is good to look at our brothers and sisters as helpers, right? Not hinderers. And and uh, it does what you're saying reminds me of Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, right? Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens mm -hmm. another. And so I, I I do I appreciate what you're saying, and we really do have to approach this with humility. Uh, none of us knows it all. Mm -hmm. I know you know I've got a lot to learn, and so 
um, my brothers and sisters in Christ can help me learn. And so I, I want that, you know, a wise person wants to be corrected as Proverbs says over and over again. So we go in with that spirit um, that we're learning, we're in process, um, uh, that we've got the essentials, you know, as, as, the, as the question at least implies, the, the non-salvific uh, issues, you know, are the non-essentials, is the way I, I took the question, but uh, then it's okay, yeah, to, to discuss and, and uh, we don't have to agree on everything. Yeah, I like that. That's uh, that's a lot of good stuff there. Um, so I guess uh, we just have enough time to cover one more question. Uh, so I'll ask you guys to touch base on this question um, and give your final thoughts, and then I'll uh, close us out. But um, question that I've asked a lot um, is how do humans uh, differ from animals? And with that, with the given scientific evidence for evolution, how can one argue the uniqueness of human life? Um, and so with that, is creationism good science or is it just bad religion? Um, if you guys want to touch <laughs> Those are my only options. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's it's a lot packed in there, um, but that's a great question. Uh, or a couple of questions. Um, I don't. Know, do you want me to start, Bob, or you want to you want to go with? I, go I, ahead. You know, uh, how do humans differ from animals? I think you, you started with. Um, well, uh, we. You know, biblically, of course, we have the Imago Dei, right? We're made in the image of God. So from the biblical perspective, we're seen as um, God's uh, you know, crowning jewel, uh, the, the high point of creation that, that, uh, um, that, and that we have something, uh, this, this Imago Dei in us that uh, the animals don't have. Um, now, there are a lot of discussions on what that is specifically. Um, you know, is there a difference in degree between man and animal only, or is it is there a difference in kind? Um, and, and what is that difference? And and you know, again, different theologians have offered different possibilities there. Somebody like Aquinas would say the difference is uh, rationality and and uh, uh, will uh, that man has in a way that uh, markedly different from anything an animal has. Uh, some, some people like a Hugh Ross maybe would say, well, uh, the difference is the spirit, that, that man has a soul uh, but, and a spirit as well. And that that's, it's that spiritual um, aspect of man that animals don't have. The, you know, morality uh, is a big one that's brought in a lot. Uh, animals are, uh, uh, don't have the sense of morality that we do. Um, it doesn't mean they don't have certain ways of behavior, but uh, can they have rational uh, thoughts about morality, that kind of thing like us? No, doesn't seem, but at least that's the argument. So there are a lot of different ways to unpack it. Um, now, with regard to evolution, I don't know, do you want to, maybe I should let the first one go and, and see, Bob, if you have anything you want to tag on before we, we talk about evolution or if you just want to pick up there or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm down with you there. The whole image of God is... However, we define that, and I, I'm not sure Scripture gives us a very 
you know, much of a definition of that, except that um, when we see ourselves, we, we, we look to God to kind of see what we, what we ought to be like. Um, and, uh, the, you know, when in the garden, it became very clear to Adam very quickly that he was differentiated from the animals. He was, he was meant to, to rule over them and had some responsibility and accountability for them, which they did not have for him, <laughs> uh, presumably. Uh, so it, it's, you know, I, I think trying to define the image of God is in man is kind of like trying to define God um, and then applying it to us. So it, it, it's, not, it's not easy or it shouldn't be too easy um, or be, be explained too quickly. Um, and I think it could involve everything and even more than, you know, what he Ross and Aquinas and, and Calvin and others have said. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in regard to uh, evolution, creation, uh, broadly speaking, even if we were to grant evolution, um, in, in some form of theistic evolution, I really don't think it's a problem for, um, for the image of God. Um, because there's a lot about God that, uh, going on, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that I don't understand that this is kind of a argument from silence maybe, but, um, But I don't think the uniqueness of man is dependent on, or, or is independent of, that's what I'm trying to say here. I don't think it matters so much how we got here, the way we are. We are the image of God. And there's nothing inherently about any way he sh God should go about it that is that that I can say is right or wrong. I, I don't think there's a, enough theological evidence to say one way or the other. Personally, others well, might disagree with me, but uh, in, in terms of that, if if God is involved, then that's enough. Yeah, sounds mm -hmm. a little simplistic, but I'm, I'm gonna keep it that way for now. <laughs> I think with regard to evolution uh, and the creation science and stuff, um, I do, I do think creation science is science. I mean, there is science going on there in, in many respects. Uh, some of this depends you know, how we define some of this, but uh, you know, when you start looking at things like intelligent design arguments, for example, and things like that, um, th those are appealing to science. They're appealing to what we know from science and, uh, and drawing uh, inferences based on that sort of thing. So, um, you know, when you look at you look at things like DNA that are like, like a language, um, you see information there. Um, and information, so far as we know, comes from minds, right? When you see specified complexity of even very simple basic life forms that are very complex, um, that put together, uh, seem to be assembled in, in a certain way, have to be in a certain way. Uh, in, any other, in any other instance, when we saw this kind of 
thing, we would say, well, there must be a mind involved. So why do we doubt that now, you know, uh, when we see it in life? Mm -hmm. uh, or why do we doubt that when we see it at, with the fine tuning of the way the universe is for life to even exist? I mean, it's so incredibly precise uh, that in any other instance, uh, we'd look at something like that and say, well, there must have been a designer that put that together that way. There's no other way it could have happened. Uh, but suddenly, uh, when when God starts getting into the, the mix, people get pretty nervous pretty fast about that. So but I do think there's a lot of scientific evidence uh, for creation. Um, there are some very good scientific uh, challenges to evolution. In fact, evolution right now, um, increasingly, this is being admitted even by origin of uh, life researchers who are evolutionists, Evolution is uh, missing a mechanism right now uh, because uh, Darwin's natural selection doesn't seem to have the uh, power to do the things that we thought it did, or at least that the, the um, had been thought at one time that it could do. Uh, acting on mutations and that sort of thing, it doesn't seem to be enough to do the kinds of things we're seeing. So. Uh, a lot of evolutionary scientists right now, they're not giving up evolution, but they're desperately trying to find another mechanism because the various mechanisms like genetic drift and natural selection that they've appealed to in the past, they now realize don't work. That doesn't mean evolution is false, but it certainly means there's big questions here. If you don't have a major mechanism yeah. that can explain the data that we're finding scientifically, uh, but you know, there is one explanation that does explain a lot of the things we're finding mind a mind and an intelligence uh, that would explain a lot of what we're finding so there are good scientific reasons to, to hang on to a designer and believe that that's true uh, there are good scientific reasons to to uh, to have doubts about uh, evolution but um, you know evidence is still coming in uh, to be frank with you it's a, it's a mixed bag it's messy at times in certain areas um, and people who believe in evolution are not stupid, and uh, people who believe in intelligent design are not stupid. Um, they're trying to do the best they can to assess the data. So uh, we need to keep this. And I think you, I think you get into, to um, what might be the crux of the issue. Um, everyone from the most diehard, you know, atheistic, human, you know, secularist, uh, evolutionist to the most radical uh, Bible-thumping fundamentalist. They're all doing good science. They're all doing bad science. Um, and, but they're doing it in a context of a worldview. Yeah. That may or may not be adequate. Um, so, so yes. Dawkins can point to some very good science done by very good um, scientists who are as anti-God as they come. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't validate the entire worldview. Doesn't validate or invalidate the entire worldview. And the same can be said on the other end. Um, and because there's a lot of philosophical presuppositions going into right. the interpretation of the scientific data, right? 
And so this is much of a battle of philosophy as it is science. I think that's where you're right. going with it. Yeah, and, right. And it's funny, uh, well, maybe it's not funny, but um, kind of to pick on the extremes, they're actually more alike than not. They've already picked their, uh, their worldview to the details and need to make the evidence fit. Um, and that's just, this is how people are. Um, you know, we have to make the science fit this reading of Genesis um, rather than question the reading of Genesis. Um, is that good science? Eh, it, it's, it's, I think it might have some problems. Yeah, on the other end, it's like, we believe in Darwinism and we must make sure the evidence speaks to Darwinism. Um, otherwise it's invalid, you know, a priori. Now, both those approaches have, are problematic. Um, and I'm not saying those don't exist throughout the entire spectrum. Uh, I think they're most pronounced at those ends. Um, so I think there's a lot of humility that needs to be had on all ends. Um, I think I think they all have a lot, at least those that are theistic. Um, you know, I'm not a theistic evolutionist, but I'm glad they're in the conversation. I think they have a lot to offer. You know, I'm not a literal six-day creationist, but I'm glad they're in the conversation. That ironing, sharpening iron. Um, so, and, I mean, as long as they're having, as long as they're in the conversation, a lot of times they're not. A lot of times it's not about the science. It's about being grown-ups or not. Um, you know, and again, across the board, you know, it's not the science. It's can you be a big boy and big girl and and be civil. Um, that's the challenge. And, and at the end of the day, I, I would just add on this last comment um, from me about this i can point to to hardcore atheists who who are willing to acknowledge readily humanity is amazing humanity is unlike any other living being on this planet um our, our, the consciousness we have our the morality we have our abilities to reason uh i mean to recognize beauty uh to do art, that the kinds of things we can do are extraordinary. However, God got us here, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, there, there is an image of God there, or there are good reasons to think that there's an image of God there, uh, however it was done. And so uh, that's what I would encourage people to go back to ultimately, and then to say, um, you know, what do we do with all that? How do, how do we have that relationship with this, with this God that, that got us this? Uh, or why are we so incredibly unique? To, you know, explore some of those questions. And, and uh, we recognize beauty. Where does that come from? We recognize morality. Where do we get that? You know, uh, what's the ground for that? That kind of stuff. So I think there are a lot of opportunities with this Imago Day uh, to bridge to God. Uh, in a I'm glad you mentioned that about the atheists. I think there's a lot of to be encouraged. I Maybe they've always been there, but it seems like in the past year or two, I've seen a lot more atheists who are saying, you know what, I'm still an atheist, 
but I'm going to acknowledge the weaknesses of my argument, and I'm going to acknowledge the strengths in the others, and I can have a civil conversation, and I can like that, de that theist, you know, and we can talk. It doesn't have to be um, adversarial all the time. Uh, so I'm encouraged that that's happening, I think, everywhere, um, because eventually, God willing, you know, some somebody who's not hell bent <laughs> uh, for their for their opinion can slow down and listen uh, and be heard by others too. I like that. A lot of good stuff. Um, a lot to take in and uh, to process. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, close us out here. Uh, thank you, Bob and Andy, uh, for being with us. And uh, thank, you. thank you for what you guys do at uh, Ratio Christi. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, we have other fellow ministries uh, encouraging one another and uh, equipping each other to serve and share the love of Jesus. Um, so I'll just go ahead and uh, close us out uh, with the word of prayer and then, uh, we can get on with our weeks and um, uh, just share the love of God, you know. Um, so if you want to pray with me. And then, uh, dear Lord, thank you for this uh, time that you've given us to, uh, to come together just to fellowship, grow in your word. Um, Thank you for uh, Andy and Bob uh, for coming on to the podcast today. I pray that you uh, bless their ministry and you uh, use their ministry to uh, reach uh, not only IEPY, but uh, college-age students around the globe, uh, Lord. And uh, I pray that you uh, be with us throughout our weeks and uh, that you uh, just equip us to uh, evangelize in any circumstance that you uh, put us in, Lord. And your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So with that, uh, God bless. Thanks for uh, being a part again. And uh, thank you guys. Uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned for the next uh, CSF podcast. So, yeah. Thanks, Ben and Josh. Appreciate it. Definitely.